Welcome to Seven Sisters Speak Podcast. I'm Dee Dee, sister number six, and we are thrilled that you decided to listen in to this episode. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you've listened before, you're already family, so thanks for coming back. This is a special mini episode to talk about a little bit what's going on in our crazy world with the social unrest, killing of unarmed black men, pandemic, all of that, but more importantly, to celebrate all that is wonderful about the black man. We have some special guests with us for our round table. So I'm going to turn it over now to sister number five, Denise, to introduce our guest and start the round table. Thank you, Dee Dee. So I am also thrilled about our episode today and the distinguished gentlemen that we have in our round table. And I want to say personally, these are men that I admire and respect. They are pillars of the community. They are leaders, and they are excellent role models for what a great man should be. They don't have to say that they are good men because we see it, and they lead by example on a daily basis. They show us what it looks like. And I really can say the people closest to them, their wives, their children, their immediate family, their extended family, we see this every day. So that's even more important. So, first we'll have Mike G, who's a retired military veteran. Thank you for your service. Uh, He's also an ROTC instructor and winning coach, husband, and father. We have Rodney M, who's a computer analyst, a part-time DJ, and also a husband and father. We have Barry Jr., who's an accountant, an entrepreneur, and also a volunteer in the community. We have Mike W., who's also a computer analyst and also a veteran. Again, thank you for your service and a volunteer in our community. And lastly, we have Kurt, who is a recent graduate of graduate school with a master's degree in political science. He's also been a political campaign organizer and staffer, an activist, and a volunteer. And may I say that all of you not only give back to the community, but you pour into the community. So before we get into our roundtable, I would like to introduce sister number two, Alvia, to give us our brother shout out this week. All right. Welcome, everyone. Our brother shout out this week is our dad, Joe Willie Warren Watford our father. And I just want to shout him out because although he is no longer with us, I just thank our dad for showing us such characteristics of hard working. I mean, all of us have a really hard work ethic. And when he was growing up, he faced adversity, he faced discrimination, but he made some really important choices. Even when he was young, his dad died when he was a toddler, so he was raised by his mom. But I remember the story that when he was 17 years old, he was able to get his mom's permission to go into the Navy. And when he served in the Navy, he made sure that he used the GI Bill to go and get a college education. So in 1950, he graduated from North Carolina A&T University with 
back then a degree in engineering. And I can remember a story that my dad shared in a class and he scored the highest in this class. He was the only African-American in this class. And because he scored the highest, I remember him telling us that the instructor moved him because the instructor said, well, he has to be cheating because he's the only person of color and he scored the highest. And when they moved my dad, who scored the highest, what he found out is that he continued to score at the highest and the guy who was sitting next to him, his grades went down because he was actually cheating off my dad. So my dad was very smart, strong work ethics, and um, sorry that he's not here to share this with us. But again, shout out to Joe Willie Warren Watford. Thank you so much. Yes, we learned so much from our dad, so much about having a strong work ethic, honesty, integrity. And I just thank him every day because I can see that, because I can look out at the world and see that everybody wasn't taught these things. So sometimes we took those things for granted, but I appreciate having those. So we're going to dive right into our roundtable discussion. And our first question for our panelists is what do you think the major struggles are today for Black men? And we have such a range of ages with our Black men today that we have on the panel. And we're going to start with Mike G, who's a retired military veteran. So what are your thoughts on that, Mike G? Hmm. Well, I don't know if I want to think in terms of Black men today or, you know, especially guys my age, because I don't know about don't overcome so many things at a younger age. So I, I think I would really like to talk about struggles for our younger kids today because mm-hmm. I think that will bring myself and other fathers into it. I think the struggle now is to get our, our young men headed in the proper direction. With social media being what it is and, you know, you're always talking about the fathers not being in the home and that type of thing. I just think that that is a struggle for a lot of young guys. Right? They're coming up without fathers you know i think some of the fathers feel that they can't do certain things because they're not in the home or whatever there's a lack of really believing that they're working together with the kid's mother but i think those things really are a big struggle for our young kids and that's going to impact us later on you know i have you know, of course work at the high school so i see a lot of the kids there mm-hmm. and i deal with mothers you know i very seldom deal with fathers and I think that's a big struggle to get the fathers back, you know, with those kids. And sometimes, just from my life, it doesn't necessarily have to be the biological father. It just has to be a figure there. Mm-hmm. I think you get caught up in that. You know, my wife and I, we talk about a lot of times about people talk in terms of blood. I like to think in terms of relationships because, you know, a lot of kids that I talk to, they don't have relationships with their mom, they don't have relationships with their father, they don't have relationships with anybody but they do have a relationship with other men. They have a relationship with other people. And that's what's impacting them. So I think the struggle that Black men have today is to be able to get their kids back and to be able to have conversations with them. And they have to have serious conversations with them. And it has to be in a manner that they can be truthful and not feel they're going to lose the kid. And I think a lot of times today, they feel that they may lose the kid if they are honest and truthful to the kid. And I think, that's a major issue for us right now. Mm-hmm. 
thank you. I'm just curious, when you were a young man, what do you think your struggles were? Because you've seen a lot, you know, you've been there, done that, and then you work with kids now, but when you were a younger man, because you have so many stories to teach young men, and so... I, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think I looked on, I just had questions and I saw one of the questions about, uh, I guess, men that we would look up to and those things that they had. And I'd always try to look back to see, and I talked to my, my wife about this too, about, you know, a lot of guys say they have role models, they had guys they, they looked up to. And I did too, I had a couple of guys I thought that were my role models, but what I found out in dealing with it, they sort of disappointed me. You know, because of all the other issues that they had to deal with in society, because of the systemic stuff that they had to deal with. But they disappointed me because I was looking for that ideal, you know, father figure, that ideal black man. And, you know, coming up as a young kid and playing sports, those guys would be the coach, you know. And, you know, you're like, okay, I'll latch on that because my father wasn't there. So the leadership that I got was really from the streets, from my older brother, the coaches, and the guys that were in the community. So the coaches that I had, I remember Mr. Lenhart and Mr. Cofield, I remember them specifically, and I looked up to them. But as I got older, I realized that there has some shortcomings, you know, as, as an adult. And so I don't know if I had that ideal person, but they were that guy. And I don't want to knock them down, but the thing is, I don't have that person. I say, well, that's my person right Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, but that drives me to do what I do today. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't take it and say, okay, you know, I need to do that. So that's why I work with a lot of kids. You have to be sympathetic to them and you have to be empathetic to them as well. Mm-hmm. So I just think that those are some of the major issues with, you know, when I was growing up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. And again, like I said, I just appreciate you guys giving back. Because like you said, not only can you sympathize with the young kids, you can empathize with them because it's like you walk that same walk. So I'm sure that they appreciate that. And that's how they really connect with you guys. So let's go to Rodney. What do you think, Rodney, as far as the major struggles of black men today or even when you were younger? You know, listening sometimes to people talk about it, I you know, tell Karen, for Didi, as you all call her, that, you know, I was fortunate to have my dad with me in my life, my entire life. And so he's been a part. And I think I was also very fortunate to be surrounded by a very strong village of men as far as uncles and and cousins. And I grew up in a very tight knit church as well with other people. And so I think I was spared some tough challenges that maybe other black boys growing up, I didn't have to experience some of those things. It doesn't mean that, you know, there wasn't struggles, but my struggles were, you know, possibly different. You know, for me, the challenges were the majority of the people that I grew up with were working blue collar folks and just being able to look out into the future and to see what's next for me. And then, um, You know, fortunately for me, my parents were like, they didn't want me to struggle in the sense of having to work you know, plant jobs and, and, and things like that to deal with the uncertainty of those plants being closed. And so they often pushed education. So the real challenge, uh, you know, for me growing up was, you know, how to go about getting the education. And there's these stereotypes that, 
you know, that we either fall into or these things, expectations that people have of you. So you can't be too smart. You can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. And so, you know, so the biggest challenge was trying to not have to fit into some mold and not have to follow, you know, whatever the standard pattern was, whatever it was to be cool. And I, you know, I, I think my parents a lot, they recognized who I was as a kid and they allowed me to just sort of be myself. And that was truly a blessing for me. And like I said, you know, I know a lot of people don't have that opportunity to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to speak on that too, Nettie, because what Roger's yeah. saying is exactly right. And that's what I meant with Mr. Cofield and Mr. Lenhart not having those guys, you know, that village around you. Rodney had that. He had that father, uncles, you know, kept tighten it so he could stay focused on what it is. The kids I'm talking about, they don't have that. And that's an issue. Because there's a lack of confidence, they don't have those things. And they tend to try to find something. They're always around. Like Friday said, his issue was focusing on education and, and try to find that way and going. Whereas, you know, me and other guys, it's like, okay, where do I fit in? And you need that direction. That's where the fathers come in. You know, and those strong men come in. They give you that direction. So when Ronnie stepped out, probably pulled in one of those guys, whether it was his father, his uncle, somebody in the village, maybe to pull him back and get him redirected. I think that's the key to it all. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you an interesting story. I, you know, I probably can't know about this all the time because it really impacted me growing up. You know, I, I had a very close-knit group of friends in church, a lot of boys. There was at least 10 of us. And for the most part, within that group, I was the only one that had my father still in my life, participating in my life in a strong way. I could be hanging out with those guys and we'd be cutting up. But, you know, my dad was very quick to tell me, you know, you need to watch how you're hanging out with so-and-so. You need to watch what you're doing. They didn't have that. And so, you know, it's 2020 now, but of those 10, there are only five of us that are still alive or not in jail. And so from that aspect, you know, it's really scary to think about it from that perspective that, you know, without that guidance, you know, either from a mother, from a father, from, you know, other male figures in your life, that how easy it is to sort of just get caught up in this madness and become a statistic. Yeah. Wow. That's that's very deep and it's sad, but hopefully the next episode we can talk about some solutions, too, for that. Could we hear from Mike, Mike W, out on the West Coast, West Coast Mike? <laughs> what, what about struggles, not just today, but just in life? Yeah, I mean, I want to reiterate what's already been said about the importance of the village. I, too, have had a very strong village around me, so I haven't had like a lot of those specific struggles that a lot of us go through. The village has been like, my shield from a lot of the systemic things that are going on. And our major challenges are those systemic ones. You know, people don't have dads in their lives, you know, well, why don't they have dads in their lives? Right. Is it because of mass incarceration Did their dad come home from Vietnam and not get the proper treatment? Did he have health issues? You know, so the systemic racism is like the biggest thing that we have to face and how you can't separate race from class in this country. And so not only do we have the race struggles, but we also have the class struggles because, you know, our generational wealth has been stolen from us. So those are what I see as the big struggles. And 
the ways that we overcome these types of challenges is through community, is through our villages, right? And one of the things that we struggle with is a lot of the misogyny in our community towards the Black women in our village, you know? Just because we suffer from racism doesn't mean that we aren't sexist, you know? And that has to be heartbreaking for the Black women in our lives when, you know, they have to go out and fight racism and stand by our side, and then we treat them like, you know, they're less than. So hopefully with a lot of the unrest and stuff, people are recommending all of these books and people. So I've been trying to take my cues from the black feminists, the black liberation people. Cause I mean, we saw this in the civil rights movement, you know, they, they centered the men and the women took a back seat and they really get a lot of credit for their contributions. So who are the ones you're reading now? Audrey Lord. I'm going to start with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Wow, thank you. There's so much there that you talked about. It's, mm, it's very, very deep, and I just like the way you articulated it. So let's hear from some of the younger generation. Barry Jr. I guess, shoot, I'm 32 years old now. So just speaking from personal experience, I would say one of the biggest struggles that I have as a Black man or a younger Black man is staying engaged. Right. And and I guess, you know, sometimes I look at everything that goes on, you know, related to the cops, COVID, systematic racism, you know, all the things we talk about. And, you know, for me, you know, at this age now, it's kind of like sometimes I feel like, hey, you know, this is not going to change. So what I'm going to do is stay to myself, lay low, look out for my family and friends, you know, my significant other and make money. So I, I think that that's kind of one of the biggest struggles for me right now, just staying engaged in life. And I think that kind of stems from just, I feel like this culture places a burden on black men. A lot of times it's like we have a struggle kind of finding our place in society, like finding our way to contribute. And, you know, I think that that kind of personally, you know, weighs on me. And even if you find a way to contribute, you know, it's kind of like, well, am I really making an impact? Right. So I, I would say that, that that's kind of one of the biggest struggles that I'm dealing with now as a younger black man, just being engaged, you know, believing in this society and, you know, mm-hmm. finding purpose as a black man. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So when you were saying it's almost like you're saying you're disengaging sort of to kind of deal with everything. Like you said, you're focusing on what you need to do, your job or, you know, your people in your life. I'm asking why is that? Because I know for me, sometimes I have to sort of pull back. I can't watch all the news. It gets me too upset. And I feel like it's too much negative energy. So I have to kind of sit back and try to find a calm space where I can just focus on, well, what can I do in a positive way? But it's just too much. I feel like I'm just bombarded with so much the last few weeks. And it's sometimes on your psyche, it's just a lot. And so is that what you mean? by like kind of just focusing on the things you need to do because it's just so much and it's so overwhelming. You just clarify that for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Just all the external input, like stimulus that we receive nowadays, it, it does take a toll on you. But I think some of it is just kind of based on my experience, you know, being profiled <laughs> by the police, you know, being passed up on a job, things like that. And, and, you know, when I was younger, I used to get frustrated and angry at it. 
mm-hmm. and it, it you know kind of kept me in a bitter place. And mm-hmm. it, but like I said, I'm dealing with it now. It's kind of like man, you know what? It's almost like giving up on the society, giving up mm-hmm. on this country, and just kind of mm-hmm. doing what I got to do personally. Yeah, you know, that's kind of something that I'm fighting against. You know, because mm-hmm. like, you know. I, I caught myself looking at the protests and stuff like that. And I'm like, just to give you an example of me giving up on it, society, I'm like, okay, we're promoting Black Lives Matter, so on and so forth. But our governors across different states are telling us that it's okay to go out here, even though COVID is still running rapid. So if governors and politicians and the government says that, you know, the economy is more important than lives, mm-hmm. period, why do Black Lives Matter? You know, so, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. deal with those. Mm-hmm. Kind of get, I guess, tired after Yeah. And that's good because I think, I mean, I just can relate to what you're saying personally because I think that it's a, still a part of us of self-preservation. And, you know, just like you, when I was younger, and I'm not a black male, so I don't have that experience, but I know being pulled over by the cops and some of them were jerks. And I didn't get pulled over a lot. It was like a ticket or speeding or whatever. But when I was younger, you know, it would just get me to be like sort of riled up. And then as I'm older, as you get older, you just kind of learn that. But the thing is how young people are affected because it's almost like they know young people, certain things are going to rile them up more or they know that sometimes they can be more impulsive than an older, subtle person. So it's almost like, is it provoking? You know, so is it a provocation? And is it, you know, on purpose? So I can understand that. But like you said, as you get older, you kind of see things a little differently. And, you know, and I can understand the thing too about checking out from society and just thinking, you know, hey, I don't have any faith in this society, but, you know, I have people that I love and I care about and I see kids, I work with kids every day and I see the hope that we have and I just kind of think about maybe one or two things that I can do personally that, you know, can provide some positivity. But let's go to our millennial our true millennial right kurt what do you uh, think because <laughs> uh, you're out on the front lines i know <laughs> i don't know I, I i was having a hard time trying to figure out how i would answer that question simply because just like mike and mr rodney have said i think my experience is different from other black men, simply because I've always had a village. I've always had not only a network of strong, positive male role models in my life, but those strong, positive male role models also respected the strong, positive black female role models in my life, which was very important to me. So with that village, I was blessed enough to be in certain rooms where there weren't really a lot of people that looked like me. And I think that was the hardest thing for me in school being in honors classes and being the only black male in that class and always feeling like I have to be 10 times better than everybody else in my class. Even as an adult going to college and even grad school, I wasn't the only person of color in most of my grad school classes, but I was definitely the only black male in that class. And that was really hard on me, like feeling like I had a chip on my shoulder or something to prove, like to prove that I'm good enough to be in the same room as many of these people. But with that being said, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is the fact that even with what I've accomplished, 
to many when I step outside of my house, I'm, like people still consider me to be either inferior or even a threat. And so when I leave the house, I have to be in the mindset to protect myself to see how other people are going to look at me. So that means not putting my hands in my pocket when I go into a store or making sure I'm polite when I'm talking to a cashier so we don't have any trouble or when I'm driving my car and I get pulled over, I make sure I immediately have my license out just so he doesn't have an excuse to feel threatened if I'm reaching for my glove compartment. So the biggest thing for me, and I know the biggest thing for a lot of black men that I talk to is having to deal with this on a daily basis, how it takes a toll on your mental health. And I think that's something that we really don't discuss a lot in our community is mental health, because growing up, I felt being a black man means like having pride, being strong, you know, not being too emotional, you know, like having to have this tough exterior. But a lot of us struggle internally and mentally, and it's hard for us to express that. So when you're going through these issues day to day, especially in the past few weeks, it takes a toll on you mentally. And so sometimes it's hard for us to express that or deal with that in healthy terms. That's awesome. I mean, that's just so deep. That's a mouthful right there. I just... uh, That's such a big part of it. And, you know, I'm always an advocate for mental health. And, you know, like you said, that takes a toll on you to always think about how I'm presenting myself or if I don't do this, what are the consequences? On a daily basis, that takes a toll on you. And you need some type of outlet to sort of, you know, release that. But let's go, and you guys can chime in at any point. Don't feel like you can't respond to what another panelist has said. But I want to look at that next question as far as women. How can we support you? Because I know we grew up with no brothers. You know, our dad, he was such a good dad, but he wasn't like warm and fuzzy, you know, and all in our business. So I know for me, I've been blessed to have some really great guy friends that I can just talk to as an adult, but I didn't have that for a long time. So I don't know. But I want you guys to let us know what can we do to support you guys? Because just like Kurt just said, it's a lot on your plates. What can we do as black women and the community to support you guys? And I want to start off with Perry J. Oh, okay. yeah, that's a good question. We could come uh, back to you. Yeah, could y'all come okay. back to me? I will say okay. something. I would say something, Nettie. One one of the things I think that you guys can do is listen more. I'm not coming at you guys. I'm just saying for real. I I talk to a lot of brothers. I'm around brothers. Sometimes, not that we're trying to talk, but we don't think sometimes that you are listening. And you're not listening because you're talking. And when you're talking, you can't listen. And I think that's the biggest piece that I feel that, you know, you can support the brothers with. You listen to them because as you're hearing all the different issues that we're having or some of the things that, that you had to deal with in life, you know, sometimes if you just listen to it, you can hear some things that may not be said, you know, verbally. You know, you can just listen to the, the things that, you know, just quiet sometimes and just pay attention. You don't always have to interject and make your points to them. You know, and I think a lot of brothers would just enjoy that. And I think I talked to my wife about it, you know, sometimes. We go out on the daily basis like Kurt and, and Gary, those guys are talking about 
They're worried about being stopped. You know, by having to make sure their hands, are, you know, are in their pocket so they're not getting too, you know, emotional. Those type of things. And so when we come home, sometimes all we want to do is for you to listen and not to jump in and start giving us all this other stuff. Allow us that time to unwind. Allow us that time to just be able to recreate what has happened with us throughout the course of the day. I think that's very important that you listen to us from that standpoint. And sometimes you don't have to say anything. You know, you just, you know, hey, just be there. And I think, I think a lot of brothers, I think they prefer that. I think in scenarios like we're in right now, you know, we're having conversation. I think the brothers want to be heard about what's really going with them. And then sometimes the black woman can say, okay, now I get it. It's not just me because we all in this fight together. I think sometimes we take this thing where it's the brothers over here, the sisters over here, we all separate. But they have won when they got us like that. Because we're divided. Right? And us being divided, you know, comes from us not listening to one another. And so I think if we could do anything, if you want to do anything to support us, listen to us and listen to what we're saying because sometimes we feel like second class citizens you know when you're just putting that out and like okay gotta deal with those guys out there and now i come here and now i gotta listen to you and i, I don't mean that necessarily you know like this fight, but i'm just saying you know sometimes you just, you just talk too much you know i mean that's where we roll you know it's like we don't do all that talking we try not to you know i'm talking a lot now but i'm just saying and sometimes i'm not talking Especially when it gets serious, they're not talking anymore. So you have to get that. You have no, to you, that. no, that thank you. That is so true. Because listening is a skill. And I know it's one that I'm working on. Literally. I'm working on that because I know my listening skills are crap. And I was just saying, <laughs> even with my adult daughter, I've been trying to do that. But sometimes the thing is just listen. Don't say anything, just listen. And that is, uh, I really received that, Mike G, because that is so super important. Okay. Rod, do you um, want to talk? Yeah, I'll add in. I think you also have to balance that with, you know, part of supporting Black men is also sharing expectations. You know, there are a lot of times, and I, and I say this just as a husband, boyfriend, friend, I think you have to share your expectations. Men are not mind readers. And I think for the majority of us, are not skilled at asking sometimes the right questions. And so, you know, there's opportunity to sort of extend and open up yourself to sharing your thoughts, else you sort of leave us on an island guessing <laughs> with what you expect to happen. And a lot of times, you're going to uh -huh. be wrong. You're right. And, you know, we would prefer to be right, but we need some guidance and some help in that area. Right. Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly, Rodney. That's so true, too. Yeah. And again, guilty as charged. I'm two for two. <laughs> We're not just talking to you, Nettie. Uh, yeah. We're just talking to you. Know, right? Well, this is helpful to me. So, Mike, on the West Coast. West Coast Mike, you ready? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with what has already been said. I think for me, listening is something I'm working on myself, you know, like being a better active listener. And I know that I tend to come off as like aloof and self-absorbed, and that really doesn't make people feel valued. So listening is like a love language, honestly. And then, you know, again, for me, sometimes it's hard to access how I feel about a lot of things. And so when I'm trying to like 
get them into words and just knowing how much of a struggle that is for me to open up and be vulnerable and then to feel like you're not listening that's kind of like heartbreaking so not saying that like women need to like sit down and shut up but like i think it goes both ways i think communication is key in a lot of relationships and i had one more thought but (laughs) i lost it so if it comes I think listening is also not necessarily listening to what we're saying. Like I said, it's observing us. That's listening. You know, watching what we are doing and what we've done. And then you take some, use some critical thinking skills, you know, to do some things from that, from what you're seeing. You know, that's listening as well. Listening with your eyes. You know, paying attention to that. Because sometimes, like, brothers, brothers don't talk. Like Rodney said, we're not doing a lot of talking. You know, but, you know, we're about doing some stuff and we don't want to engage in a lot of conversations sometimes. That's something we have to work on as well. But, you know, it's one of those things that, hey, uh, if you ask me about what you can do to support us, then I think that that's something you can do is listen by observing. Yeah, I got my thought back. It was uh, to reiterate on the like setting expectations for us. Like, no, we're not mind readers. Yes, we want to be thoughtful because I understand that women appreciate that like you know it's the thought that counts it was probably a woman that said that (laughs) but the better that we can be guided towards you know towards those expectations because we have to move in a world where like we have to know the rules and the unwritten rules you know like kurt was saying like going into places and not putting your hands in your pockets you know like we are constantly when, when we maneuver through the world we're constantly adhering to strict guidelines so it's like if you can give us you know a little help there when it's something that you need from us i think that helps a lot that's good and it holds us accountable you know because you Mm -hmm. know a lot you know a lot of dudes will just not do it if you continue to ask you know and you know you gotta get those dudes out of there exactly that's good wow thank you barry Fish and berry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I guess from a millennial standpoint, okay. and this may not be gender specific, but I would encourage women to not let social media and Instagram set your expectations for your man or what your life mm-hmm. can be. That's good. Because, you know, I have a lot of friends who, who you know, confide in me that their wives or significant others are, are you know, sucked into Instagram like. You know, they may, and I guess this is a form of listening, right? So they may be sucked on Instagram for two hours straight, just scrolling and scrolling. And, you know, that kind of takes away from the quality time that they may be spending with their man, you know? So mm-hmm. and then I think it also affects, again, expectation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like social media is a fantasy world. It is. And I think mm-hmm. black women, more so than black men, kind of get sucked up into it. And then mm-hmm. they take kind of those, like, fantasies, and like try to bring them to reality. So it's like, oh, I want to travel, mm-hmm. I want to do this. I get my passport, you know, and I'm like, well, I need to pay my rent, you know what I mean? So just, right. mm-hmm. just so that's that's kind of like a generational thing right now, just women allowing social media to distort their expectations for men in their own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's very good, Bear. And it's very it's good. almost like, Social media is almost like reality shows that they are not real, you know, and that they set up like this is really my life, but it's really not. So, exactly, yeah. And, and, and it's, I think it's a constant stimulation too. Like, you know, you know, you watch a reality show like once a week, but 
you on Instagram like three, four hours a day. Right, right. I feel like a lot of times you may start living somebody else's life or wanting to live somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And then kind of going back to expectations, I think sometimes black women push their man a little too hard, right? And just mm-hmm. to give you an example, like, you know, I have a business or whatever, and, you know, my goal of the business is to let it organically grow, to word mm-hmm. of mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my significant other, you know, so well, why don't you do it this way? You know, why don't you put it on social media? Why don't you market it and stuff like that? And it's like, well, that's not necessarily the goal I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, like, do something on the side while I'm working. Mm-hmm. So I, I think sometimes black women kind of impose what they want their man to do what, or what mm-hmm. they want their son to do or their mm-hmm. grandson to do without mm-hmm. sometimes considering who they are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's just also something that I would urge black women to do. To support black men. That's good, Bear. It goes back to listening. It just goes listening. back to listening. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Just listening. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and what I was saying about observing. Because, you know, Barry, he wants to grow organically. He's not trying to you know, just go from here to there. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not paying attention. That's not having that conversation mm-hmm. with him and listening to him when he was having a conversation. Because I guarantee you that that has come off in a conversation somewhere. He may not articulate it like he just did, but he has articulated that. So that's mm-hmm. what I mean by, you know, listening and watching mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's a perfect example. Kurt, where's um, Kurt? I'm, I'm right here. I feel like I need to do a bit more living to give a, a sufficient answer. <laughs> you can, what do you think now? Well, I no. Speaking personally for me, after I come home from being out in the world, I have two functions to decompress. That's to either vent or to just be to myself. So if I'm in the mood to vent, I don't need you to play devil's advocate. I just need you to listen. It doesn't even have to make sense of what I'm saying. I just feel like I need to express what I'm going through. And I just feel like I need somebody to listen and just appear as if they hear me. Another thing is like when I decompress, I like to be to myself. And when I say be to myself, that means I just want to be in my room by myself. I just want to put my PlayStation. I don't need you to try to force conversation to see what's wrong with me because that would just make me angrier. But yeah, those are my thoughts. But I guess uh, a more important question to me is like, what can black men do more to support black women? Maybe we could talk about that in the next episode, part two. What do you guys think? Because this is your show. We need to listen to you guys now, okay? So we'll table that and have you come back for part two. But you guys, I enjoyed it so much, and I learned so much from you guys. We got to do this more often. But just any final words, and that's just anyone chime in, any of you guys. I just want to piggyback off of what Kirk just said. You know, he has his coping mechanisms that he does at the end of the day. But what I would challenge him to do is when he is in those moods and he knows which one he wants at that given moment, just, you know, challenge yourself to work on expressing that. So you set an expectation for, you know, whomever, the way that we want the expectations to be set for us. Yeah, I think Mike's absolutely right on that. You know, I think way too many times as, you know, men and women, we give up our power in a lot of different ways. And I think that 
you can still maintain and control things about yourself, but you just have to communicate and sort of set your, your boundaries on what those things are. But, you know, even in times like this where systemic racism and things like that that people talk about, I think it's always interesting to me is that I never let white people rob me of who I am and, and what power, you know, that I have in this world. They cannot take this from me. They did not bring me to this world. So I don't give them that power. And so it's a mental exercise, but it's something that we can, you know, take forth in a lot of aspects of our lives. That's great. I love that. Empowering ourselves. We're already empowered. Again, thank you to our participants, Mike G, Rodney, West Coast Mike, Barry Jr., and Kurt. I've enjoyed it so much and I've learned so much and I hope our listeners will get something out of it too. I'm sure that they will and they will come back for part two of what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. So we look forward to you guys coming back. So this time we're going to introduce one of the most popular segments of our show is Moments with Mom. And so we're going to have Mom come and share her words of wisdom. Can you hear me? Hey, first of all, I want to say thank you guys for joining the girls. Honestly, I learned a lot. Of course, I'm not surprised because I always say I have the best group of men in my family there is. So I can afford to brag off them. I have great grandsons. I have great sons and all. And I want you to believe that. I'm so proud of all of you. But what I want to say is. Some of the things that, especially the younger ones, Michael Curtis and Barry A. And one of the things that Kurt said, he was expressing himself as to how he liked to decompress. And Michael White said, you know what? Sometimes when we are in certain moods, our significant other or whomever may not understand that. So it's good to have that conversation so they will understand maybe right now, you know what, I just need this quiet time. Because if you don't understand that sometimes, you know, you can just really feel like you're not wanted around or something. And that's very important. Since we're talking about fathers and whatever, I just want to maybe mention a couple of things about my dad, who was my role model. What I remember about my dad, there was still the black man never had the opportunity that the other ones had, but he just focused. He never complained. He always figured out a way to do what was best for his family, to make sure his family was taken care of. And one of the things that I remember him always saying, I do not want my family to be where they are always told what to do, when to work, when not to work. That's why he strove so hard to provide a place for us so we wouldn't have to worry about moving from one place to the other, not knowing what the future had for us. So I really appreciate that about him and my mom. And another thing that I do remember, 
he was always engaged in what we were doing as we were growing up, you know, whether it was the friends that we had, the people that we wanted to kind of hang out with. He was very particular about who those friends were, and he made it his business to find out who they were. And he always warned us about certain people. He would say, not that you feel any better or any less than those people, but sometimes they can be influential in in not a good way. So I always remember, you know, that's very important because he was giving us direction. And secondly, he was always a person to give and help others. I think with his struggle and get himself in a position to maybe have a few things that they had worked so hard for, he was in a position to do some things to help other families. Many families who didn't have for their families, who had no other means of getting what they needed, maybe it was food or transportation or whatever. He knew people in place to get these things done to help others. Mm -hmm. And I remember him always being concerned about a family may not have food Mm -hmm. or someone who needed some gas money or some child who didn't have a parent. And that was one of the reasons, I think you guys have heard me say that, we always had someone living in our house. And the reason was, in those days, there were many young men and women who really did not have any place to live. They didn't call it homeless, but they didn't have families. They were just kind of out there on their own. I mean, some of them was young teenagers. Some of them was older. And he would always open the door for someone who needed a place to stay. And his objective was, I can help this person and they can help me. Because living on a big farm, you need all the help that you can get. And we always had someone there. And I do remember in one particular case, this lady, I know she must have been in her middle 40s. She was staying here and there with different families, no stability. And he brought her into our home. And he said, you know what? She needs a stable place to stay. She can help my family. and." He said, particularly to mom, she can help clean and whatever she did. He said, but no cooking. (laughs) No, no, you know, no, she is not to cook. She's to do other things. And I remember her name was Mrs. Honeywood. We call her Miss Honeywood. And she did. She helped clean. She helped take care of us. If you want to call that a nanny, whatever, (laughs) maybe that's what that was. But. He and my mom was always doing things to help people. She would cook a big dinner and she would cook extra food. Well, just in case somebody stops by, make sure you have something to share. So that's why many times you might hear me say, you know what? If you can share something, that would be great because that's what I learned from them. And I value that. And another thing, he had good work ethic and he always taught us, always work. For what you get, you know, nothing comes free. So that's why we started very young, going out working for ourselves. And it just made me a stronger person. And I really appreciate the fact that I had 
parent, especially a strong dad, to get involved, to know our friends. Even our little boyfriends, when they start dating, he wanted to know the family, all of those things. And I thought it was a silly thing, but I could better understand as I got older what he really meant. Because I saw so many girls that really got into a lot of trouble by following the people they thought was cool and everything. So I carry that with me and today and it just made me a stronger person. And this is the last thing. One of the things that he always said, he said, always respect yourself. He said, you don't demand respect. You learn to earn it. And that will your character, make you a better person. So again, thank you guys. I'm talking to specifically talking to guys. Thank you for tuning in. You just gave me a lot of information. So love you. <laughs> Okay, thank you. We love you too. Thank you so much, Mom, for your words of wisdom. And the book recommendation this week is a book entitled How to Love a Black Man by Dr. Ron Elmore. I bought this book over 20 years ago and read it. And I think West Coast Mike read it too. And it was so insightful. And since then, I've just gone back and reread parts of it. But this is an African-American author. He's not only a minister, but he's also a psychotherapist and he counsels, you know, couples, black men. I like that, that it's from not only a spiritual aspect, but an emotional aspect. And some of the chapters, for example, is don't get all your knowledge of black men from women. Don't make him guess what you want. Just what we were talking about. Let him know what your expectations are. Ask his opinion and value his opinion. And if you're a talker, listen up. So again, some of the things that our man today has shared with us too in this book. It's a great resource. It was very helpful in me understanding and appreciating and loving Black men on a deeper level. And so to close out, we're going to have sister number three, Melinda. Okay. Hello, everyone. And first of all, I just want to thank these gentlemen for coming and talking with us today. Awesome. It's been very powerful. I'm emotional. And what you guys have shared with us today, I'm hoping to take it and make myself a better mother and a better wife. So thank you. I'm just, you know what I was thinking? I'm sorry we hadn't had this conversation before now, but I hope that we can continue the dialogue. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. And please come back for part two of What a Man as we dive into this a little more. It's an important subject. You know, learning about our black men. Don't get it twisted. We have some great black men. You know, sometimes on TV and media, it's a different story. But we have some tremendous black men. We've heard from them today. So please, please come back and listen to part two. In the meantime, please connect with us on our website, which is sevensisterspeak at gmail.com and sevensisterspeak.com. Also, you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at sevensisterspeak. So we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, please be blessed and please, please be safe. Thank you. Seven Sisters Speak. The voice of women who look like us.